As I, as I have begun this uh, series, I guess you could call it, uh, it's really been spurned on by a Bible class I've been teaching in the junior high, really focusing on the Old Testament and the Kings. So really, First Kings through Second Chronicles, really that kind of time frame. But then looking at not only the Kings, but those who are called prophets, who are called to talk to and give messages to either Israel or Judah or the kings or the people. And it, it just wrapped my mind in, why, why these messages? Why did Israel and Judah walk away from God so many times? And what did they do with God's message? Or what did they do with, and then the word I kept coming back to in my mind was truth. What did they do with truth? Like, like, were they thinking about truth as the law, specifically? And in, in most cases, yes, maybe. And it caused me to ask this question. Well, what, what is truth in my own life? What do I classify truth as? Do I, do I think of truth as, you know, God's word? Do I think of truth as uh, something tangible? Is truth something that I speak? Is it action? Is it, is it, is it uh, you know, some, something that is maybe more of state of being? What is truth? And if you look at that and you ask that question fundamentally, there is no real easy answer to, to come up with because there are all kinds of frameworks that people look at when they look at this idea of truth. And the first graphic up there is a, is a highway sign that says, truth, here's the exit. Wouldn't that be nice? In your own life, wouldn't that be nice if, if it was as easy as I'm driving down the road, and a highway, there is a sign that says, in, and, and if you have your GPS on, in 2.2 miles, turn right, merge right, you know, except the lady does it in a British accent, and she sounds really good. Um, but, but it would be really advantageous, it would be really helpful if it was that clear, and if we could have these signs all over the place so that I could see every action, everything I'm going to do, every step I'm going to take, that there's this big sign, bright lights, God's, you know, ray of light coming down on my next step, and there, there it is, it's truth. But it's not as easy as that because we live in a very, very, very clouded society and world that has basically one, one thing and one agenda uh, to do, and that is to distort or blur truth. That is what Satan is all about here on this earth. He wants you and I to look at something and, and see that as, well, that's kind of, that sounds good. Or maybe that's an uh, aberration of truth. Maybe that's a, a mirage of truth. I'm going to chase that. And he is a master at getting us to do just that. So as, as you consider with me some of the, some of the, the scripture that we're going to look at, this is, a, this is, again, this is setting up, and what I'm trying to do is set up how we as individuals look at truth, how we, how we identify it, and then really what we've done to strip it away from our lives. That's the thing that I'm really going to go after here, and that's the thing that has been impacting me in this. So one of the things, to, uh, one of the things that... Um, has, has come about as far as just in conversation and, and in commercials and other places, and I say it too, you just say, really? You know, something happens and you go, really? 
really, and it seems like the word of this year, kind of like maybe last year, and, and maybe this is more junior high or high school, it was epic, everything was epic. This year it seems to be, really? Really? So I'm asking the truth, really? Do you have it? Do you know what it is? Do you know what it looks like? Can you grab it? Can you, can you taste it? Can you feel it? What is it? Or, or you, do you stand, as, as I do sometimes, deer in headlight look going, uh, I really don't know. I have no idea. So the last time I preached, which was moons ago, about three months ago or so, maybe it was more than that, I, I looked at Second Chronicles and I looked at King Jehoshaphat and looked at King Ahab. And what I, what I talked about was that truth is uncompromising. Wouldn't you agree with that? Isn't that a wonderful statement to say? Truth is uncompromising. And if I could just say that and say, God is truth, and then walk out of here, and all of us believe that and do that, we'd be fine, except for the fact that that doesn't happen. And so the premise was, here you go, you've got a king who's good, and he makes an alliance. He makes a compromise with a king who really has no desire to stay with the attributes of God and to stay with all the things that God has told him to do and and the marriages that actually took place the alliances the friendships that took place really demonstrated the compromise in what truth was and therefore there were some major things that happened and and really King Jehoshaphat was in a battle and he almost got killed and he went back and in in second chronicles I, I forget the chapter basically he came back and he reformed he changed Because he realized what I did in compromising my relationship under God and with this other king really put me in a very grave situation and a a dangerous situation under God. And what I want you to see today and what I have seen in my own life is when I make compromising choices and decisions and I basically see God as a column and I, on purpose or in, in error, not knowing what I'm doing, walk away from that, And compromise that, what I've really done is I've compromised truth. But to say that is really, my premise is, when I compromise my relationship or those things with God, I compromise God. I basically put his name and smear it in the mud just so that I can do what I want to do. And so life, if you look at our lives, one of the major objectives in a Christian's life, in a believer's life, should be to completely completely go after truth. And I said last, uh, last time that truth you are to buy. And if I can go up here, Proverbs 23, 23 says, and the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon says this, buy the truth and don't sell it. And when I preached through a few of the Proverbs and talked about Solomon's messages, and specifically in the first couple chapters there of, of Proverbs, to the young people, he would say stuff like this, acquire truth or acquire knowledge and understanding. Seek it. Keep it as precious jewels, as silver, as gold. Don't give it away. Because it's more important to have God's truth or instruction and in righteousness and the fear of the Lord than it is anything else. Well, I want to ask you tonight, because we're going to get into, later on in this series, the next, the next sermon I do has a bunch of today things, and we're going to talk about some of those tonight, some actual video clips of what, what we compromise, what we do. Let me give you an example before I get started here. Last night, we had, uh, well, yesterday, Saturday, we had Levi's birthday, 
And Levi turned eight years old, and so we've, we've had some family come, and, and it was, it's been a good time, and, and Levi enjoyed his birthday, I think, right, Levi? He enjoyed it. You got a bike, which he's had three stolen or four stolen, I don't remember. Just becomes an annual event. Kids at the park, leaves it out, it's gone. So we've, we've had quite a few bikes, and maybe it's Levi just wanting a new bike every year, and we haven't cut on yet. Um, but he got a bike, he got a uh, little scooter. He got a tornado thing, and he, he's just excited because he's had his birthday, and he, he got some really cool gifts. And uh, last night, after the gifts and all that had kind of calmed down, uh, some of the family was sitting in the uh, living room, and I decided to just turn the television on, and, and, you know, I was hoping to find some news or something decent to watch. I timed myself, and I thought, here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give myself just a little test here, and I'm going to time myself and see... If I can, if, how long it takes to see blood, number one, just to see blood or violence. Well, in five minutes, there were 22 acts of violence that I saw between only four channels, because that's all I get. Five minutes, 22 acts of violence, all containing blood. And you know the shows. I mean, there's the following and all these shows that, you know, and it wasn't NCIS, but I, 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 I don't get that. But whatever the new shows are today, uh, it was just nothing but murders and just, you know, different things where somebody's beating somebody up, and it was just all about violence and all, all this. And, and I thought, okay, in five minutes, what have I exposed my mind to? A bunch of stuff that I, I don't need to be thinking about. And so I asked the room, those who were sitting in there, I said, can you believe what we've just seen? And the, the answer was, and these are from just, you know, uh, family members, um, yeah, I don't even watch stuff anymore, or I don't have time to watch it, or I don't like to watch this, I like to watch, and then it was, it was a comment on things that they were like to watch, we, we do like to watch, and none of it centered on, I really just desire and thirst after God's word. None of it was, I long for the statutes of God. Nothing was Psalm 1, I meditate on his law day and night. It was oh yeah, next season is this. Coming up in January or next January, this premiere's coming out. This is gonna happen. And I wonder how many of us just strip away truth. Well, do we seek it? Maybe we should do that. Brand on our, brand on our hands. Seek truth so that every time we look at the palm of our hand, we, 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 we think about that. Maybe it needs to go on our foreheads as frontlets. Maybe we need to put it on our fingernails, or I don't know how you need to recognize it or do it, but it needs to be done. Notice the definition here, the state of being the case. So if I say something is true, this is in fact the case. This is what I'm saying, and it is true. Or the next definition, the body of real things, events, or facts. The third definition, I think, is interesting. It's a fidelity or a singularity, uh, the idea of being one or true to. Fidelity to an original or to a standard. Something that is unblemished or untouched or uncompromised. This is how we as a society have defined truth. But I'm here to say that truth has been distorted and today is whatever you want it to be and whatever I want it to be. Because if we can do that to truth, guess what? we become better. We become less sinful. If we, can, if we can take the bar of truth and bring it down here to our level, we all of a sudden get fantastic. And we have great lives and we don't sin as much because the bar is down here and not up where actually it's measured against something that is holy and pure and just and right. 
And I'm afraid that we've done this in our lives. Spurgeon says, and I'm sorry it's a little small here, but let me read it to you. It says, he says this, truth always carries with it confrontation. Always carries confrontation. How many of you would agree with that? That if you say something truthful, it's going to be met with somebody who does not agree with that. So if I say, in essence, Amber is beautiful to me. Somebody can disagree with me, and I'm not going to like that, and she might not like that. But I could say to somebody else that you're not so attractive because you're not my wife. Maybe it's, um, maybe, well, let me go on here in his, his, his statement. He says, truth demands confrontation, loving confrontation nonetheless. If our reflex action is always accommodation, we'll talk about that in a moment, Regardless of the centrality of truth involved, there is something wrong. In other words, if I say uh, something is true and then somebody doesn't like it and I say, what, what, wait, okay, okay. And I, I justify truth somehow so that I accommodate somebody's feelings or somebody's heart, somebody's actions. And I say, well, but it was just, and I compromise that something is deathly wrong with truth the idea of it. Now, what is not erring? Well, we know that the, the Bible answer, the Sunday school answer is the Bible. And who is truth? And we would say Sunday school answer number two. Well, God is. Well, how do we know that? Well, we read our Bibles. Well, how do we demonstrate that? By loving others. And we're so good at answers one, two, three, and four, and we fail to really follow through with one, two, three, or four. In fact, we don't care enough about truth or pursuit of truth. And so what we do is we end up compromising our own lives and really put ourselves in deep hurt. Let me go on here, if I can, if this is going to work. Is this going to work? Oh, here we go. Oops, I went too far, didn't I? Okay. Let me, let me define truth as this. And, and in, in, my, in my thinking, I went to this. If I were to define truth, maybe I need to define it as if it were a box. So I'm going to put a box out in front of you, okay? Just a cardboard box or some random box. And what I'd like to do is say, and in, in, in my thought, in my thinking, I was, I was saying, okay, God, if I'm going to define truth from your word, perhaps it's a box and it has multi-sides so that I can look objectively at each side and discover what truth really is. So In my attempt to do that, I came up with three things that I kind of whittled down and and saw. Number one would be, how do I define truth? Well, it's what I say. Uh, There are several verses, and I just picked two two verses here that talk about Zechariah 8, 16, 17 says, These things you shall do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth justice and peace. Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor and do not love a false oath for all these things I hate, says the Lord. So if we speak truth, we're not lying to each other and that's a good thing. So it's what I say. Truth is what I say. If it's coming from a right heart. Uh, Ephesians 4.25, therefore putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another. So if I speak truth, that must be at least one side. It's what I say. Okay, well, if it's what I say, can my lips speak non-truth? Yes, they can. Yes, they can. So if I can speak non-truth, it's not just that it's one side. There's, 
there's a side of truth, but it has, you know, like a coin is a coin, but it has two sides. So there's a good and a bad to this. There's a positive and a negative to this. Let's pursue the next one. How do I find truth? It's what I do. Okay, so it's what I say. Here's another side. It's, it's my actions. It's what I do. The thing I did, or I did the right thing today, is maybe something you would say. I, I did the right thing. I walked in integrity, and I did the right thing. Well, look at Proverbs twelve twenty two. We can even back this up by Scripture. Twelve twenty two says, "Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are His delight." Well, I walk faithfully with the Lord, right? And communion comes, and and pastor says, "Hey, listen. Those who are walking obedient with the Lord can take this cup and this bread." And participate in communion. And and you're able to participate because you're walking faithfully. But are there times that you don't? Yeah, there are. So again, there's an inside and outside to this. Look at John 3, 21. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. I'm going to have you turn, if you would, before I get any further. Actually, I got one more. Sorry. And then I'm going to have you turn. Next one here is, uh, it's what I believe. Okay, so here's another side of the box. And, and with these three sides of the box, so what I say, what I do, what I believe. And there's probably more sides that I could have come up with. I'm just trying to give you an idea of where my mind went. Because I was thinking, if I can define truth as a box or something that I can hold or see, it'll be easier for me to grab a hold of and, and do or appreciate. But I found that as I've looked at what truth is, it is not that easy. It's not that clearly defined, and I'm going to show you, hopefully, how that, how that looks. Okay, Psalm 71.1. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust, or, or I rest in you because you're truthful, okay? Let me be never put to confusion. Psalm 118.9-9. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man, or to see truth in man, because man is untruthful. So, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. 1 John 4.6. We are from God. Whomever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of error. 1 John 5.13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. I want you to turn to John chapter 18, if you would, please. As I thought about references to go to and and places to look at and try to define what truth is, is and, and how this looks as far as the individual is concerned, I thought, well, who was confronted with the same, same question? Who was confronted with the same question? We could go to Peter and, you know, do you know God? And, and he denies him. We could go to um, uh, the Old Testament again and look at the kings and how they took truth or God's law and they disobeyed. But we, we know that very well. But what instance was that question actually said? And it came in the most unbelievably intense situation there was. And as we head to Easter, we're about to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But let me take you to John chapter 18, if you would, please. I'm going to start in verse 28, okay? And in this, obviously, this is preceding this was the arrest of Jesus. Peter had denied him. He was put before um, Annas and Caiaphas. And now he was brought by by those folks who wanted him crucified. And he was brought to and brought before Pilate. In verse 28, I read, Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early in the morning. 
They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters. It was uh, so that, excuse me, uh, entered the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside and said to them, what accusation do you bring among this man or bring against this man? So Pilate looks at that, and he probably had heard from before the grumblings and complaining of the people, and he asked the question, what accusation, what, what offense has this man done? What sin or what evil has he done? And they answered. That's the people who brought Jesus or, or arrested him. They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Did they answer the question? Did they answer the question what Jesus had done? No, they said, if he were not causing trouble, we wouldn't have brought him to you. They did not answer and say, this, 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 this. So what did they do to Pilate? They lied to him. They said, well, of course he was making a big ruckus and, you know, well, we wouldn't have done this except for the fact that he was a problem and so here he is. So he said, they answered him, this man, we're not doing evil. We would, have delivered, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your, this is key, your own law. Well, that was basically condemning to them because if they judged him by their own law, what they were asking for was crucifixion. To the, there was the worst uh, death, a criminal's death that uh, was going to be given to him. And so if they would have done that to him, they would have been trespassers themselves they would have been sinners themselves and they could have had the same punishment given to them so he says take him and you know do with him with your own law what is your own law what do you have against him and he says this the jews said to him it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death this was to fill the word that jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die and that was crucifixion go on in verse 33 so pilate entered his headquarters again and called jesus and said to him Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? They exchange questions here, but it's interesting that the first question that Pilate suggested has significant meaning. Let me me explain. So when he says in the first, in verse 33, Pilate entered the headquarters again and called Jesus to him and said, are you the king of the Jews? There's basically two questions that Pilate was, or Pilate was asking between two, two, two opportunities. Are you, Pilate says in reality, the king of right or are you the king of fact? In other words, are you the king of total right and justice and truth or are you like me, an emperor, who can only attain the status of just I am an emperor. I'm fact. So Pilate asks a very interesting question to Jesus because I believe Pilate knew that this man had done nothing wrong and because the things that he had done up until this point of his ministry was doing nothing but spreading truth, which was his father's message to all those who were following him. Are you the king of right or are you the king of fact? You're the king who spreads righteousness, ultimate truth, and that's all you're accused of, or you're like an emperor like me, and you're just there ruling, and that's all you can do. You're right because you're the king, not you're right because you are truth. This is what Pilate asked him. So Jesus says, do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? 
Pilate answered with another question, am I a Jew? Almost in a sinister kind of, kind of throat in your face kind of way, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And here is the key. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. In other words, folks, he's saying, truth doesn't come from here. I am king, but I'm king of truth. You are king of fact. My kingdom isn't part of this world. You have no clue, Pilate. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. There would have been a skirmish and a war. There would have been some type of struggle, some type of fight. But again, Jesus, in going through his crucifixion, yes, to fulfill the law, to fulfill the prophets, to fulfill all those things that we would have, as Paul says, is a mystery to to us, and that we have salvation, he's really saying, I am here because I represent truth. So is truth a box? Can we put sides to it? Well, maybe on certain facets, but what I'm here to say is, if you think that you and I are going to be able to really find the whole part of truth here, it's not all here. Because it is eternal. It is eternal. Let me finish reading here in in this section where we say, Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation chief and priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I, might not, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate said to him, So you are a king? As if to say, So what, what am I to, to expect here? You're a king? Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. And he, he says again, You say that I'm a king in fact. In other words, I am here just to rule the Jews. But that's not what Jesus is saying. That's not his title. It's, I am king, I am right, I am truth. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. What was that? What was his purpose? Yes, to die on the cross, but what? To give us a picture of truth. Truth is not a box. It's not sighted. You can't put your hands all the way on it, because truth is God, and we can't recognize that in our finite minds yet. We cannot see that yet. We can't see the clear picture of truth. We know what it looks like because of God's word, but we haven't seen God's glory yet. We haven't seen that. And yes, we walk in truth. And I'll I'll explain how we do these things on earth in a sin-marred world. But he came into this world to bear witness, he says, to the truth. To the truth. Everyone who is of truth listens to my voice. Hears me, right? Listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, the question, so what is truth? What is truth? Well, as pastor preached this morning, um, he said something, and I I leaned over and whispered to Amber. That was one of the points in my my, uh, sermon, where he talks about, and, and he even said, at some points, you know, we say, I think a lot, or reference that, that thought. Well, I think, I think, I think. And we all have an opinion. We're very opinionated people, especially as Americans. Um, we, we think. The reality is truth is bigger than what I think and what I say, what I do, or what I believe. How many times do you start an answer by saying, I think that? We say that all the time, right? 
What if we changed that and said, God says that? Or the Bible speaks this. Truth says, Scripture says this. God says this. And we change our verbal thinking and and answers instead of, well, I think. Especially when we come to scriptural and biblical things. So in church, we have this dialogue and we say, yeah, uh, we're talking about a specific, and throw out a topic, I don't care, materialism, talk about uh, narcissism, whatever you want to talk about. And most of the time we say, well, I think that our society is. And we go off and we say, I think, I think, I think, I think. Maybe how we should start every conversation like that is God says. God says. Scripture says. This is what God's word says. Because if we start to say, I think, or this is coming from man, we're so susceptible to what truth is. So what is truth? I think the only way I can do this in a tangible, visible way is to say that truth is God and God is truth. There is no other answer. There's no other way to be able to dissolve this or put this in. So tangible and transcendent. I want something tangible on earth to say, what is truth? And put my hands on that. But it's also transcendent because he says in in John there that my kingdom isn't from this world. I came here to do the will of my Father so that people could see truth. And Pilate had the audacity to say, well, what is truth? As if to say, what is your kingdom? Who are you? I don't appreciate the fact that you say that you're a king of right, not a king of fact. You're a king that says, ultimate righteousness lands with me. And I'm a king that just says, I'm an emperor. I'm a ruler of this world. People bow down to me just because I say something, but people bow to you because you speak truth fully. Well, there's more to, um, there is more to this, and I'm going to, in the next few minutes, which I'm already, I'm already running late, talk about this idea here. 2 Timothy chapter 1 through 3, and I'm going I'm to spend a little time here, and I'm going to end, I think, this session with these ideas. In 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1 through 3, well, the whole book, Paul is in a second imprisonment, and it's not good for him. It's not looking good for him at all. He requests Timothy to come. If you can come, please come. And I want to explain some things to you. So if you'd turn there, I want to I read some, some things here. Because I think in this, in this selection, this letter, okay, that Paul writes to Timothy, even though he's writing to a young pastor, I think there's some important things and some important qualities that we can learn about truth when it comes to this, okay? First of all, truth is not a shame. Well, Romans 1.16 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, right? Paul says that in Romans. He says that elsewhere. But here he's talking to a young man and he's saying in, first, in 2 Timothy, if you would go to um, 2 chapter 1, verse 8. He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our God or our Lord. Timothy, it's, it's okay to not be ashamed and have confidence in truth. It's okay to have confidence in truth. You can have and not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. 
who saved us and called us to, holy, to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and to which now has been manifest through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. And then he says again, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until the day what that has been entrusted me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. What was the good deposit entrusted to Timothy? What was it? Was it money? No, what was, the, what was the deposit? Let me hear it. It was Christ. It was truth. He's saying to a young person, a young man, guard it. Just like Solomon said to those young people when he was talking in the, uh, when he was uh, giving those proverbs, and he said, buy truth and don't sell it, okay? So does that mean just the younger generation? All right, those of you who are over 50, let me ask you just a straight up question. Our society as young people, would you put thumbs up getting better, thumbs down getting worse? What would you do? Just give me a thumbs up or thumb down. What would you do? Young people, I want you to look at this for a second. What are you saying? Mari, what do you see? Mackenzie, what do you see? Why do we all do this? 50 and above. Why do we all do this? That's, that's, kind, of, that's kind of frustrating for you guys to see, right? That's not, that's not fun for those of us who are younger than 50 to see this. Why do we do that? You know why? I'm convinced. I'm convinced that not just those 50 and above looking down with our pious noses, with our fingers down. Oh, you sinners that are young people who live in a new generation. You're just bad. All bad. Evil. Unright, you know, rottenness is exounding from you. You're just, you stink of evil. You stink of sin. No, it, it's because those of you who did that 50 and, a, and older, you say because, well, they don't care about what? They don't care about God. Can I tell you 50 and older that these kids, some of them do? Praise the Lord. Some of them do. And you know what they need? They need examples of people who are over 50 saying, I'm going to take this and cherish it and love truth. Love it so that they can be thrilled and excited that they have truth and not just like Timothy saying, as Paul says to Timothy, just guard the deposit, love it because it will be your life. Maybe it's because over 50s just take this and it's a Sunday thing too. And maybe it's just not excited. When's the last time that you came and talked to them and said, hey, how you doing? How you guarding your deposit? Let me tell you how I did it when I was your age. They don't like you to talk forever, okay? I can tell you that. But it would be an encouragement to them. Timothy guards the deposit, and he's, he's not ashamed. Paul says he's not ashamed of this. So, so don't be ashamed of truth. How many of you have gone to a circumstance where you're, you're compromised and there's a situation where you know that if you tell somebody you're a Christian, you know that you're going to be criticized? On Saturday morning, we sat in the men and we talked about some of that uh, that's taken place even with our younger men who, who said, I've gotten into the workplace now and they ask me, 
why don't you cuss? Why don't you drink? Why don't you come out with us and party on Friday nights? And they say, well, eventually it comes out that I'm a Christian. And the tendency is to not say anything because we're what? Timid. We're afraid. What are they going to do and think of us? But is that the reality? No, we have something far better than what they have. Far better. We have truth. They're the ones that should be shaken in their boots because if you look at the Old Testament, what happens to those people who give up truth and compromise? God came and did what? Completely wiped them out. It wasn't even a question. Let me ask you a question here. Have you compromised? Are you ashamed? Or are you kind of like, yeah, I'm a Christian. You know, real quick, you might notice, maybe, if I let that out, or are you just walking around and your life is so light, so bright, that people know something is different about that person, about me? Man, do I want that in my life. That demonstrates that I have truth. It's not just a two-sided, three-sided, four-sided, six-sided thing. It's that I have Christ in me. This is what Paul is saying to Timothy. Put him inside you. Secondly, to know truth is to know more than a form of godliness. Now, this is, this is interesting because we all are fantastic at putting on the Sunday best, right? We're going to come to church. We're going to be on the phone. We're going to do everything Sunday best. I can tell you how it goes in the Schaefer household. 223 3rd Street, 830. I got to get here and put the coffee there, and I am ready to go. Kids aren't ready to go. And I am sitting out there in the car steaming. Let's go. Get moving. Weston, put your shoes on. Levi, get your jacket on. Annika, get out of the bathroom. You don't need coffee, Weston. He asked for coffee. You don't need it. Get in the van. Get in the van. One kid. I forgot the... Pull into church. Hi, Straskins. It's good to see you. Dave, how's it going? How you doing? Great. It's wonderful. Levi, I told you not to do it, right? Maybe some of you, it's the phone conversation. You're going off on whoever. Fox News is on and you're ticked at Sean Hannity. I don't know. If it's me, it's you're, you're, you're you know, yelling at the kids. Phone rings. Hey, how's it going? And, and we put on the Sunday best, but it's not just a form of godliness, I want you to take and go back to 2 Timothy. Just close my Bible. It's never a good thing. 2 Timothy. And um, go to uh, 3. Chapter 3. He gets done. Oh, chapter 2. Good soldier. Talk about running the race. Rah, rah. Everybody's in shape. We're going to compete as an athlete for Christ. Great. Then we get into verse 14 and following, and he talks about a worker that does not need to be ashamed of Christ again. And he talks about that, and we use that, I think, for, isn't that the Awana theme verse? Don't we say that in Awana every Wednesday night, something like that? Okay. So we go down, and then in verse 3, he says, okay, with all that understood, but understand this, Timothy. Understand this. In the last days... There will come times of difficulty. Four, people will be lovers of self. And just note these qualities, if you would, please. People will be lovers of selves, lovers of money, proud, 
arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving God, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance or form, a outfit, if you will, an appearance or form of godliness, but denying its power. And he says, Paul says to Timothy, avoid such people. I wonder if sometimes we would avoid ourselves, each other, because we do this so well. We do this. How's it going? Fine. Great. Everything's good. I'm spiritually okay. Really, I am. Because I only know my sin. Paul sees it deeper, and he connects, and he's trying to entrust a young man who's, who's going to be preaching for his life, and he's saying, you will get caught up in this. And as the days progress, those of you over 50, and as you look back and thumbs down, as the days progress, it's not going to get better and easier for all these kids. I feel bad for them. I feel bad for my own kids. I don't want them to grow up in a godless society. So what is, what is, what is my option? To teach Levi truth, to understand it, to seek after it, to go after it. Paul's doing the same thing here with Timothy, a young man, and he's saying, watch out, because this stuff is going to come. Don't let this infuse into your body and mess your relationship up with God. In other words, stand for truth is what he is saying here. He says, an appearance of godliness. Notice second point. To know truth is to know more than a form of godliness. It is to know godliness. It is to know holiness. It is to know the power that that brings and, and, and gives a believer. And we have the power, but most of us walk around on our, on our weekly pattern. And we do the thing that we don't want to do. Sometimes we have victory, sometimes we don't. And we think, well, next time I'm going to be better at that. We just forsake it. We compromise truth all the time. Next one, to know truth is to be wise and reject false teaching. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, go back to chapter 1 here. Actually, I think that's a wrong, that's a wrong, uh, that's a wrong reference. Anyway, let me go quickly because I'm, I'm way over time here. Truth, to know truth is to be wise and reject false teaching. Uh, when we talk about false teaching and, and talk about what that looks like in uh, the church and in the world, okay? False teachers talk about and, and show that this is, this is something. In, in, this is actually a reference to chapter 3. If you look at chapter 3, um, starting in verse 7, he says, Always learning, never able to arrive at knowledge of truth, just as uh, Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all as was to those two men. These two men that were referenced were talked about as they, they put on the mask of godliness so that they could just simply go in and confuse people and, and make them fall away from the Lord. Well, I wonder how many of those people we actually buy into and watch. Recently, I put an antenna up on my house, and I can get a, um, some channels up on channel, um, I think it's like 54 or 52, and there's like four or five substations under that. I don't know if it's from Milwaukee or if it's from, I don't know. But anyway, it's like, it's like the gospel power and all of those uh, church type of broadcasts and whatever. And Amber doesn't like it because sometimes I watch them. And there was a guy who literally was on air 
interviewing, and he's like, can you just pay, pray the power of God through the TV screen and heal everybody that's sick? And the guy was like, okay, yeah, sure, I will do that. Did everybody, like three weeks ago, feel like you got all the health restored to you and everything is great? Because my foot still hurts, and I, <laughs> I did not get that blessing. I, I was watching it. Maybe I just, it's because I don't have direct TV and it didn't come through that channel. I don't know. So maybe Time Warner customers, you're feeling better. But just the antenna with the coax cable, yeah, it's not high depth, that's for sure. That's garbage. It's garbage. False teaching compromises truth. The last one. To know truth is to place importance on the eternal. That's what I started with. He says, my kingdom is not from this world. In other words, where I will dwell for eternity, everything that is encapsulated by that is not here. I'm strictly here for a purpose of demonstrating what truth looks like. And he says, anybody who hears my voice hears truth. Do you hear truth today? Are you listening to truth? Are you listening to God's word? Do you have this so, you know, you're, you're, you're into this so much that truth is freely flowing? Or are you still like me sometimes and think, I need something tangible. I need a box. I need something to think about. And you define truth as very black and white, and it's, it's right here. If I can just grab this thing, I, I'm Okay. Because that's, it's not that easy. Next uh, time I preach, which is next month, um, I'm going to go into a few things where I'm going to show some video clips about the individual. Okay, How America, specifically, is targeting the individual. Whether it's t-shirts that show my way the highway, whether it's... Um, an American Idol golden ticket. Here I have it. I'm going to show you some interviews of those who are asked, how do you know that, or why do you want to be the next American Idol? And it's so wonderful to hear them. Well, I would do all this wonderful stuff for everybody. I'd, I'd, you know, it's the classic, I'm going to give everybody in Africa water and food. No, you're not. You can't do that. What is it that, that causes us to be like on a grand stage and we're just going to go ahead and solve Africa's problem? Solve America's problem of ungodliness. Let's start there. What, what do we do as individuals to wear the t-shirt or to have the golden ticket of our society and say, I am going to be somebody and I'm going to make something of myself when God says in Matthew 5, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Love truth. Don't forsake it. Buy it and don't sell it. But yet, we will buy these lies over and over and over again. So much so that we have our DVRs set to record this stuff so that we can watch it and take it in. And I'm not accusing all of us of doing that. And I'm not accusing you of, of you know, just because you watch a show that you're, you're condemned and going to hell. But I am accusing all all of us, for compromising truth almost daily. Which, where does that put us? In a compromised relationship with Christ, is that what he wants for us? Answer, Bible school, no. How do we get away from that? We read 
We do what Psalm 1 says and meditate on God's law day and night. We do what Psalm 119 says and put God's word and hide it in our heart. We trust in God's ways. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you know? I mean, it's, it's Sunday school answers, but we compromise it all the time. 